0: This is an ABC podcast. Hello there and welcome to Between the Lines. This is Tom Switzer from Radio National on air, online or via your ABC Listen app. Thanks for tuning in. Now today on the show, Australia's dealings with China... The western world's relations with beijing are at their worst state in more than half a century as this week's news reminds us
1: authorities in the us have given a rare public glimpse into the intelligence they've gleaned on the breadth and scale of chinese cyber hacking across at least 12 countries with the support of australia and other allies the biden administration is formally naming and blaming chinese hackers
0: But how do we account for the rapid deterioration in our nation's dealings with China? What do you think? According to the Canberra policy consensus, we've now woken up to the China challenge. And in response to Beijing's campaign for influence, Canberra is right to protect our sovereignty. That's why our political leaders have passed foreign interference laws, banned Huawei from our 5G network, and in coordinated moves with key allies, condemned China-backed hackers for major cyber attacks. But that's not how many academics, business lobbyists and former diplomats see things. According to the critics, Australia is in the grip of a China panic. Justified criticism of the communist regime, we're told, has all too often given way to paranoia and exaggeration on both left and right of the ideological spectrum. We need solutions and strategies that strengthen our democracy and pave the way for better relations with our largest trade partner. Now that's what the critics tell us. So let's hear from two leading scholars from these two schools of thought. Peter Harcher is author of Red Zone, China's Challenge and Australia's Future. It's published by Black Ink Books. And David Brophy is author of China Panic, Australia's Alternative to Paranoia and Pandering, as published by La Trobe University Press in conjunction with Black Ink. Peter, David, welcome to Between the Lines.
1: It's a pleasure, Tom. Thanks, Tom, good to be with you.
0: Peter Harcher, how precisely does China threaten Australia?
2: Well, a teeny uh, quibble, Tom, I'd say it's not China per se, it's the Chinese government, but the best, the best way to answer that is to go to the horse's mouth, and to quote the Chinese government itself um, on its demands on Australia, you'll remember last year, last November, a colleague of mine at nine, a journalist Jonathan Kearsley, got a phone call from the Chinese embassy in Canberra to meet two diplomats at the Hyatt Hotel in Canberra, which he did. They handed across the table to him a typewritten sheet of paper with 14 demands on it, nothing else. These are the 14 grievances or the 14 demands that the Chinese government has made against Australia. Now I'd probably be testing the patience of your audience by reading the full 14, but you said precisely how does it threaten. So here is a summary: to meet the demands of the Beijing government on Australia, Australia would have to hand effectively hand control to China of its foreign investment regime, its telecommunications laws, its anti-interference laws would have to be repealed, and anti-espionage laws to meet the Chinese demands. The Visa policy of Australia would have to be uh, treated according to Chinese requests. The press would have to be censored. Members of parliament would have to be censored. Free speech across the community generally would have to be censored. The federal government would have to surrender its voice to speak on world affairs generally, certainly anything to do with China. Um, Australia would have to abandon its international treaties guaranteeing freedom of navigation and freedom of overflight. And Australia, of course, would have to keep its mouth shut whenever Beijing commits human rights outrages or makes demands on the sovereign rights of other countries. So that's straight from the Chinese government itself.
0: And all that you say justifies all things considered Canberra's policy response to the China challenge. David Brophy, what's wrong with the Harcher thesis?
1: Well, I think there's a basic fallacy here. Uh, for China to criticise our policies is not an infringement on Australian sovereignty. If, if we believe that, then we're just mimicking the way Beijing complains about Western criticism of, of its policies. The decision of how Australia responds to these criticisms remains firmly in Australian hands. So I, I don't think China has done anything here that seriously compromises Australian sovereignty, and it's certainly not threatening it Militarily, I I see these as hyperbolic claims that are being wielded to advance a set of policies that are exacerbating confrontation here, Um, all for the purpose of defending what what China is actually threatening, which is uh, American primacy in in Asia. I, I don't see Australia as the victim here. Australia's stoking a great power rivalry as the junior ally of one of the main combatants in that rivalry with its own ambitions to ma- maintain a hegemonic role uh, in the region. Uh, that's dangerous in and of itself, uh, but it's also having dangerous consequences domestically uh, in terms of the, you know, the anti-immigrant and anti-democratic policies that, that people like Peter are advancing. The, the kind of proposals that Peter's outlining are, are not going to do anything to promote the high-minded principles that he, he claims to be standing for.
0: Peter Harcher.
2: Uh, Well, just briefly, in my own defence there, Tom, uh, David's conflated a bunch of things, none of which I've mentioned, uh, the US policy, and um, talked about my alleged anti-immigrant stance, which is utterly wrong. In fact, I've said that Australia should welcome, uh, continue to welcome immigrants once we get past COVID, of course. And in fact, uh, ethnic Chinese immigrants are an asset, the Australian Chinese community is a key asset in our national resource base uh, to be embraced and valued and celebrated. And in fact, more ethnic Chinese immigrants would be a positive influence in our country. Uh, My objection is to that stream of immigrants being used uh, as a trojan horse by the chinese communist party okay
0: one of those examples of course is uh huang zingmo this is the real estate developer who had scandalous dealings with the labor senator sam Dastiari. it's obviously got a lot of attention in australia a few years ago when the story erupted this is david brophy's point surely one can recognize uh, this scandal and still believe these kinds of headline grabbing splashes hardly shake the foundations of our democracy. So the question here, Peter Harcher, doesn't the inherent strength and resilience of our institutions show there's no need for panic?
2: Well, I would suggest to you, Tom, that um, I'm not panicking, uh, but the Huang Jamo episode with Sam Dastiari, the reason that was um, such an important revelation was that it showed that the resilience of our institutions was in the process of being undermined that the transactions between Sam Dastyari and Huang Jiamo were completely le- legal. They broke no laws whatsoever. And that was one of the reasons that this attracted so much attention. And in fact, it took it took a year before Labour accepted that Sam Dastyari had to accept that he was going to be drummed out of Parliament and was. Um, Sam Dastyari disclosed all the monies, uh, the, the assistance, financial assistance that Huang had given him. That's how we found out about it. He put it on the Parliamentary Register of Members' Interests. It was all above board. It was a complete betrayal of the Australian national interest and his betrayal of his attachment to his own political party, of course, but it was legal. So that was one example where at the highest level, the federal Senate, we saw somebody in return for favours adopting the Chinese government's position. So it showed that the resilience of our institutions was failing, needed to be shored up, and even really basic stuff. I mean, no country allows foreigners to donate money to their election campaigns or no self-respecting country. Australia, at that point, was still allowing foreigners to give money to to politicians in election campaigns. Really fundamental stuff like that needed attention. And and from that moment on, Australia has started reluctantly. Remember, nobody wanted to, to upset in the elites of Australia. Nobody wanted to upset the apple cart. Everybody was making a bunch of money. Everybody was very happy with the status quo. That shocked The Australian political system in beginning to recognise the problem.
0: David Brophy.
1: Well, look, I I mean, I think that what Sam Dastiari did was a pretty disreputable thing to do. He was pandering to a donor from a distinct constituency to to land a donation. I don't see that as something as particularly unique uh, in Australian politics. Unfortunately, these kind of practices are quite widespread. In fact, what he was responding to was uh, Stephen Conroy doing something similar when he went to America as the guest of a pro-US lobby group and also went off message, uh, in his case, in a more hawkish direction to satisfy uh, his audience uh, audience in Washington. Now, I'm all for cracking down on the influence of money in politics and the ability of these kinds of lobbies to conduct their activities. Unfortunately, the, the approach we've taken has actually done nothing to prevent the kind of donations that were in play, both the the party donations and the private, you know, gifts to, to Dastiari that the new legislation, you know, still allows all of that to, um, to continue. So we've actually taken a very different course, which is to stigmatize a particular group of actors those with certain ties to China. Uh, And that has whipped up this climate in which we view Chinese Australians as a fifth column. And I would insist that Peter is advancing anti-immigrant politics. He's calling for a reduction of immigration from the PRC. Uh, That counts very clearly as anti-immigrant politics in my book. He wants to embed prejudice against migrants from the PRC into Australia's immigration system. Peter
0: Harcher.
2: Okay, well, first of all, I think On one question there, David and I are probably on a unity ticket, and that is that uh, the political funding uh, and influence system in Australia needs to be completely cleaned out. Uh, The federal political donations laws are wide open. You could drive a truck through them. We need a federal ICAC, uh, Anti-Corruption Commission and Integrity Commission. Uh, We have them in every state and territory jurisdiction now. We need one federally. So on that, I think we can agree completely corrupt influence from any source needs to be stopped we need to protect our democracy and shore it up
0: and what about david brophy's point about chinese immigration
2: yes you know ethnic chinese people are have a treasured part of our society one of our greatest historical mistakes in my view was the white australia policy and we're still getting over the cost of that uh, we we mustn't repeat that blunder and ethnic chinese immigrants i think are an asset and we should welcome more however uh, until very recently, we had failed to screen them for uh, – and and David, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm not picking out um, one ethnic group, but I am picking out one group. I am singling out the agents of the only great power on the planet that is trying to subvert – and we, we've known this since 2005 when a Chinese diplomat working in the Australian consulate in Sydney, uh, Chen Yonglin, uh, defected and said that there'd been a high-level decision in Beijing to systematically – infiltrate Australia to get influence over its decision making. Uh, He told us that in 2005, and we've only realized that it took more than a decade to figure out that that's exactly what was happening. And the Chinese Communist Party uh, must be singled out and must be stopped from uh, taking control of our sovereignty, absolutely. But in the process, we need to filter out their agents trying to operate in our system. That's what the foreign interference and foreign espionage laws are seeking to do. And I'd remind everybody that They were passed with the unanimous consent of the Liberal and Labor parties. It's not a Morrison or Turnbull government policy. It's a national decision, bipartisan decision. Uh, Absolutely, the Chinese Communist Party agents need to be filtered out. And those laws simply require that that if you're the agent of a foreign power, you simply put your name on a register. That's it. There's no stigma, uh, whether it's, you know, you're working for an American outfit or a French outfit or whatever it is. Uh, there's no penalty. There's nothing. That's it. The penalty is if you don't disclose. So that means you're you're doing covert work. Well, you know, we just have to we just have to stop that. No no power should be able to do that in our country. On RN, this is Between the Lines with Tom Switzer.
0: Peter Harcher is the political and international editor of the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age in Melbourne. And David Brophy is a senior lecturer in modern Chinese history at the University of Sydney. David Brophy, let me put this to you. Many people around the world, uh, from a variety of political and ideological persuasions, they believe that uh, the Chinese government embraces what's called wolf warrior diplomacy. You both deal with this in your books. Now, this is where China brazenly uses its growing economic clout to coerce or punish weaker states that pursue policies not to Beijing's liking. Now, given this, do you think that Beijing has badly overplayed its hand vis-a-vis Australia? David Brophy.
1: Well, I think that China actually held back for some time before eventually retaliating. China's analysis has always been that there is no basic conflict of interest between China and, and Australia. It was eventually, you know, tipped into uh, taking retaliatory action and now has, you know, a handful of anti-dumping investigations underway against Australia. Australia has 100 or so uh, of those investigations. Um, So, yes, I mean, I do think that this is politically motivated uh, by China. Um, We could also ask, you know, were Australia's actions to limit Chinese economic activity in Australia, have they also been politically motivated? Yes, I think they have been. I mean, so I see the outrage as fairly confected because it was predicted from the beginning that this this open turn towards confrontation with China would have, um, you know, would have economic consequences. Uh, the, I'll just make another point, and, and and hopefully Peter can respond to this because there's something strange that I find about the type of position that that Peter puts forward, which is that, you know, he describes Chinese trade with China as this this drug. Uh, you know, this habit that Australia needs to kick because it's, you know, it's corroding our system. Well, if that's the case, then, you know, shouldn't we be happy that China is reducing its trade with Australia? You know, if the, the dealer is cutting us off, then isn't that, isn't that a good thing, in fact? Um, that's the, there's a sort of a contradiction there that I've, I've always had trouble um, understanding.
0: Well, Peter Harcher, how would you respond to that argument that, in a way, China's doing what, we, what you wish, that we should be less dependent on China trade?
2: Well, of course, if we were smart, we would have uh, avoided that dependency in the first place. We would have learned from our historic blunder of developing huge trade dependence on Britain. And then when Britain, of course, in 1973, walked away and joined the European Common Market, a lot of Australian industries were shocked and left reeling with big losses. Uh, We forgot that lesson. And before COVID, um, Australian trade dependency on China had reached 38% which was um, a dependency on a single country that we hadn't had since, since the British uh, overdependence. So uh, really what's happening now, I, w- I would utterly agree with you, David, is that because Australia has failed to exercise any discipline or uh, prudence in developing that export dependency, which in the middle of last year, by the way, hit 48%, went from 38% to nearly, nearly half of total exports went to China, a single country. It's just imprudent. And because we failed uh, to exercise that prudence ourselves.
0: There are many critics, and they've been on this program over the last few years. You've heard them all: Jeff Raby, Bob Carr, Linda Jacobson, Tony Walker, Linda Javen, among others. They say uh, that Australia is virtually the only nation to face a concerted campaign of Chinese bullying, and that shows that Canberra's diplomacy has been inept and lacking nuance. Peter Harcher, how would you respond to those critics?
2: Uh, Well, I would simply suggest that um, if you read the news more widely, you'll see a very different picture. I mean, Canada, for example, is in a very similar position with Chinese uh, government trade sanctions on a bunch of exports, as well as holding uh, two of its citizens hostage effectively. To, in its in its diplomatic confrontation with Canada. but it's also it's not just trade and, and economics of course, whether it's border uh, struggles with India where troops from both sides have died in the last year, whether it's the relentless incursions by the Chinese military into the airspace uh, of Japan over the Senkaku Daoou disputed islands, whether it's in the waters of the Philippines, Malaysia, whether it's the Indonesians, uh, whether it's Brunei, you have Chinese incursions, Chinese uh, military coast guard and other incursions into the contested territory all along the, the Chinese frontier, uh, India, Japan, South China Sea. The, the, the list of countries that is now in a major diplomatic or, in fact, a quasi-military grey zone contest with China is as long as your arm, and as you said at the beginning, Tom, This week, Australia was just one of 39 nations to publicly condemn China and name it as the source of aggressive, disruptive and costly cyber attacks across the world.
0: So we're hardly alone. Australia is hardly alone. David Brophy.
1: Well, I I mean, I think clearly tensions are growing on a number of different fronts. I I mean, I think that there's very little point in trying to unpick, you know, who shot first in a situation like this. There's, There's actions and reactions taking place on all sides. But clearly, both in China and in the West, a hawkish perspective is in the driving seat when it comes to China policy. This is unfortunately the risk that we face as China's economic you know, growth continues. It wants to, as, as all countries do, translate that economic heft into political influence that is going to cause friction. Now, what I think is dangerous is for a country like Australia to lean into that conflict, try to stoke it to catalyze a US-led response. You know, the idea that we can somehow use military or political pressure to, to put China back in its box, that is going to be received, you know, with increasing um, skepticism and hostility from China. And uh, is this going to produce a nationalistic response on, on both sides. I think we should be talking about measures and policies that can actually diffuse these kinds of rivalries and constrain great power behavior on both sides of this conflict.
0: And following on from David Brophy's argument, Peter Harcher, our leaders have indeed supported US-led misbegotten wars in both Vietnam and Iraq. Does that record show we ought to be wary about getting too close to Uncle Sam in its spat with our largest trade partner, Peter Harcher? Oh,
2: well, it certainly tells us, Tom, that the Americans have a terrible strategist, a military strategist, doesn't it? Uh, and even a war that was more well-founded and more just, which was the occupation of Afghanistan, the conception and execution of strategy there has been a, a disaster. And after 20 years, the country is, looks like it's largely returning to the hands of the Taliban. So we we need to be realistic, and I think probably most Australians are. You know, the problem Australia's uh, got with the U.S. The most recent realization came with Donald Trump is that it is utterly unreliable as an ally. You saw Trump took great pleasure in belittling and insulting allies, throwing doubt on whether even treaty alliances were were enforceable. Uh, However, we have a limited number of allies. We're being confronted by a very determined great power that's trying to crush our sovereignty and take control of many of our policies. We have to use what resources and assets we have. And insofar as it works for the Australian national interest to cooperate with the US, we have to work with the countries with which we have common interests to protect ourselves. Simple as that. This is Between the Lines with Tom Switzer.
0: Peter Harches from the Sydney Morning Herald. He's also a visiting fellow at the Lowy Institute and David Brophy is historian of Uyghur nationalism and a senior lecturer in modern Chinese history at the University of Sydney. David, if China dominates this hemisphere, aren't they likely to interfere with our sovereignty? That's the question. Now, before you answer it, in your book, you quote John Mearsheimer approvingly. He's the distinguished professor of political science at the University of Chicago. Now, this is what Mearsheimer said in Canberra two years ago. Here he is talking about the consequences of China dominating the Asia Pacific. You think you're going to be happy in that world?
1: You don't think they're going to interfere with your sovereignty? You ought to come over to the Western Hemisphere, go down to Central America, go down to South America, and ask those countries down there how they like living with the United States of America. We have a rich history of doing horrible things in South and Central America, right? I'm glad from an American perspective that we're a
2: hegemon, but I'll tell you, from the perspective of our neighbors, doesn't look like a happy story. And I'll tell you something, and you already see evidence of this, if China dominates this region, they're going to violate your sovereignty time after time, and it's not going to be a happy story. You're going to be with us.
0: David
1: Well, I find Mearsheimer's perspective quite refreshing, to be honest. Of course, that requires us to concede that there is no moral high ground here, that this really is just about power politics. Yeah, I'm not sure that Peter is is willing to to concede that. I don't think that China will soon be in a position to dominate Asia. Um, But I do think it's possible, though, that if we continue on the course that we're on, China will try to exert more hegemony uh, in its region. My dissent from Mearsheimer is to this notion that there's just no alternative to this dog-eat-dog world. I mean, look at America and Latin America. Now, I don't think ordinary Americans benefit from their country's bloated military budget and the resources that they spend interfering in Latin American politics. There are people in America who wanna rein that in, stop intervening in other countries' affairs, I'm with those people. I mean, that's the kind of politics that I would like to advance here in in Australia. See, Mishima's
0: point would be America and Australia might be doing these things in their, their spheres of influence, if you like. But why do you cut China slack? Why will China be any different, given that they clearly have designs on the South China Sea, the East China Sea, Taiwan, and they are clearly interfering in the sovereignty of states in the region already? David I'm not,
1: I'm not cutting China any slack at all. The point is, if we want to actually um, put forward a, a political perspective that is, you know, about containing, you know, the aggressive, self-aggrandizing instincts of great powers, we have to start on our side. I mean, otherwise, we're just behaving completely hypocritically. China is not going to pull back if we're saying to it, "Look, we're allowed to dominate our neighbourhood, but you're not."
0: Yes, it's certainly tough for a middle power like Australia to deal with this power politics. Now, Peter Harcher, let me put to you what you yourself put to John Mearsheimer
2: two years ago. 120 countries in the world count China as as their main trading partner. 68 countries so far have signed up to China's Belt and Road Initiative. How many countries forcibly are resisting Chinese expansionism? Now, that's Peter Harcher. These are your words.
0: So if far more nations are dependent on China trade than resisting China. Question, Peter, shouldn't Canberra think again about its stance towards our largest trade partner?
2: Well, it it suited Australia very well to join the China Party, and we did, uh, together with all the other countries you've just mentioned, no doubt about it, and wanted that gravy train to continue. Nobody wanted to interrupt that. It was interrupted, uh, and again, we go back to the thunderclap moment of the revelation that Sam Dastyari, you could buy an Australian senator legally. Uh, What's changed in those two years, Tom, is that Australia has realised and a growing number of other countries have now realised, and China has been very blunt in telling the world, especially since COVID turned up, that it, it seeks to dominate. And countries are now having to weigh their priorities, assess their tactics, assess their sovereignty, and many more countries, including the 39 we talked about already just this week, Uh, are having to distance themselves from China and even confront China.
0: Finally, what now, given the widespread elite and public criticism of Beijing's conduct in recent years? David Brophy, how do you think Canberra should deal with China?
1: I don't think policy decisions should be calibrated to get any particular response from China. I mean, that's not my main interest here. I'm arguing that the policies we're pursuing are bad for Australia, um, and, and I think we should start to undo some of the damage that's already been done. I mean, I think the foreign interference legislation has been bad for civil liberties. I don't want to live in a country that boots out foreign academics as we have done Um, on the basis of vague suspicions that they're part of some foreign conspiracy. That's the kind of behavior I associate with China. Um, I I want to stop the saber rattling. We need to take responsibility for the politics on our side that is um, provoking confrontation. Now, alongside that, I'd be very happy for politicians to start a conversation about what we can do to help people suffering repression in a place like China or elsewhere. But we have to realise great power rivalry is not going to be a vehicle for advancing human rights. Um, Much more likely, we're going to be turning a blind eye to human rights abuses uh, as we assemble a coalition of countries um, for some kind of uh, misguided containment strategy towards China.
0: Okay, so stop the fear-mongering. Peter Harcher.
2: Uh, If I had 30 seconds, I would say, uh, number one, shore up Australian democratic institutions. Let's have a federal anti-corruption commission Fix federal funding and donations laws. We are ourselves the greatest enemy of our own democracy, number one. Number two, embrace the Chinese-Australian population. They're an asset. We have to take care of them, treasure them. They are part of us, and we have to keep them utmost at the top of our minds as we deal with the totalitarian political movement called the Chinese Communist Party. Finally, Australia needs to develop a strategy for dealing with China. We've so far had a series of uh, responsive, reactive moves. We do not have a cogent, overarching strategy for dealing with China, and we need one.
0: Peter, David, a lively debate. Thanks so much for being on Between the Lines.
2: Always a pleasure, Tom. Thank you very much, Tom.
0: That was Peter Harcher, author of Red Zone, China's Challenge and Australia's Future, and David Brophy, author of China Panic, Australia's Alternative to Paranoia and Pandering. Well, that's it for the show. And remember to hear this or past episodes, including last week's interviews on Australia and climate change with Marion Wilkinson and Greg Sheridan. Just go to abc.net.au slash rn and follow the prompts to Between the Lines. Or, of course, you can just go to the ABC Listen app where you can download us for free or wherever you download your shows online. I'm Tom Switzer. And thanks so much for listening.